Gift of Worship, your source for commentary and discussion on worship, theology, and culture. I'm your host, Dr. Jonathan Michael Jones. everyone and welcome to the Act of Worship podcast. This is Dr. Jonathan Michael Jones and I am glad you have chosen to listen for these uh, next few minutes as I discuss uh, matters of worship, theology, and culture. We are in the middle of a five-part series dealing with a worship-related topic and that is five neglected essentials of worship, at least five that I have chosen to discuss and this will turn into a book that uh, it is going to be a small book, but it will be uh, finished by the end of the year, um, hopefully out by next year. Um, and so we, we've discussed the Lord's Table, uh, the Kiss of Peace, and then uh, um, last week I talked about lingo. And uh, so we're at the fourth one today, and this is going to sound maybe a little odd at first uh, to some people, but... Uh, The issue I'm talking about today is horizontal community, not just vertical, and that is in the uh, the context of corporate worship. Um, For for decades, I I think a growing concept has been that uh, worship is vertical, that it is solely vertical. It is only vertical. In other words, um, if you're thinking directionally here, you, you might be going, I've never heard this. Vertical, horizontal, there is a uh, worship band out called uh, Vertical Church, and they're very good. They write some good songs, and uh, they are solid theologically, Um, and I'm not pushing back on the concept of vertical worship. What I am doing, what I'm talking about is in addition to, but the idea is that worship occurs solely as a dialogue between God and the individual worshiping. It's a vertical relationship. And so I don't deny that worship is vertical. There is a vertical aspect. Hear me out. I am not denying that. But it is not solely vertical. There is a horizontal aspect to it. And by horizontal, I don't mean that God's people worship each other or that we worship earthly things or people or celebrities. I don't mean that. What I mean is, is that the church corporately worships together triune God. And so there is, in the togetherness and in worshiping as one body, there is a horizontal aspect. In fact, God has covenanted with a people uh, more obviously than he has with individuals. We tend to think of covenants between individuals, but the covenant between God was between himself and the church, a plurality of people. And so while individuals certainly comprise the body of Christ, the church exists as one singular body, a living organism. And so the connection between worship and mission, corporate and personal worship, it happens in the sending. I have discussed before that in the history of the church, Uh, Worship has taken place, corporate worship has taken place as a fourfold order. This is from the early church uh, even to now. And really churches started largely 
um, de- de- uh, leaving that path of of fourfold worship um, in about the 19th century. You still see it. Um, in fact, my church has a fourfold order. Um, you, you still see this in many churches. Uh, the fourfold order has been the gathering, the word, the table, and the sending. The service of the gathering, the service of the, the word, the service of the table, service of the sending. And um, you tend to see more of a threefold order now in many churches, and they, they've kind of simplified it to uh, music, preaching, invitation. <laughs> and uh, that's not inherently wrong or sinful. Um, but the uh, fourfold order, I believe, tells a gospel story. Um, but the sending... And what I'm talking about here, the sending, you could call it the conclusion if you want, but there's some sort of idea that you are sent. You are sent from this place as we meet together into the world and you worship in a personal manner. And so there's a connection between corporate and personal worship in the sending. Um, but God's people begin a process of por- personal worship Together, we are covenanted as one body. And so even in personal worship, there is a corporate aspect. In other words, we do life together. We are the church. We don't go to church. We don't do church. We are the church. And so to neglect the horizontal relationship shared between the people of God is to effectively become absorbed in self-seeking goals. We become... um, selfish and and seek what we want instead of what God wants and what is best for the body. But worship is not self-seeking. It looks first to the glory of God and then second to the good of others, uh, particularly in the body of Christ. And so if worship were solely vertical, um, here's one argument I make. If worship were solely vertical, the ordinances would not only be corporate. In other words, there would be uh, room for private communion or private baptism. And I am not talking about in situations where uh, maybe somebody's in a nursing home and cannot have a public baptism. That's not what I'm talking about. In most situations, uh, baptism and the Lord's table are corporate acts. And that, that is why I strongly disagree with Um, communion being employed in the context of a wedding ceremony unless everybody is invited to participate. Because if they aren't, and everybody is just watching a couple, it really is not communion. Communion is a corporate act. It is one of two ordinances of the church that was given to the church, not to individuals. And so there is a horizontal obligation in worship. It is not just vertical. And you're obviously, uh, you might be catching on that I'm talking about relationships here. So not to deny the vertical aspect of worship. For what I'm about to say, I'm going to assume the truth of vertical worship, but I am going to concurrently provide a foundation for horizontal worship. Okay, so... Uh, I have a few thoughts on this, on horizontal worship and why worship is horizontal. I want to provide a foundation that hopefully you catch on to and and realize, yeah, there is a horizontal aspect to worship. So 
First of all, worship is horizontal because God has covenanted with a people rather than mere individuals. And so, um, again, I'm not neglecting the vertical aspect, but the truth is that the horizontal aspect is often neglected in the church. God has covenanted with a people, not merely individuals. In, in 1 Corinthians 12, the Apostle Paul discusses uh, the people of God as many members of one body, but the emphasis is placed on one body more than many members. In other words, the body takes precedence over the individual members. And so um, sarcastic and even rhetorical pictures of body parts um, are personif- uh, personified when Paul is speaking. And uh, he even mentions uh, body parts speaking to other members of the body. It's kind of a comical picture when you think about it, but uh, the picture is painted of, of body parts speaking to other body parts and, and um, on their own saying, I'm going to do what I want. Uh, and, and that really, this picture is indicative of the overall purpose of the body rather than the individual members. In other words, the body, the purpose of the body takes precedence over the individual parts. And so in our self-absorption, we, all, we often speak of God's will as it applies solely to our lives. Uh, we've had discussions before with many people. You've probably done this too. What is God's will for my life? Well, I could do this or this. I just don't know what is his will for my life. And it's not a bad or sinful conversation to have, but God does not have only a will for our lives. We we need to get off of the self-centeredness and and stop thinking, what is his will for my life? And realize that God has a will at large, which glorifies himself and brings him pleasure. And it's a will into which each person in the church fits. So it's not that God has necessarily a separate will for one person or the other person, but he has a will period, an overarching will that we fit into. And I think that's the right perspective to think about it rather than his will for our lives. Uh, In Exodus 2, God hears the cries of his people. This is the story of um, the Israelites and Moses leading the Israelites out of bondage, out of the bondage of slavery. And so God hears the cries of his people, and he responds to bring them out of the bondage of of slavery. In Exodus 2, it says, God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. That's Exodus 2, uh, verses 24 through 25. And so the focal point of God's response here is his covenant, That's something we fail to realize often. He responded to his covenant, not purely the cries of his people, not the prayers. It was the covenant that he made with his his people. And there are various covenants that you can point to in the Old Testament, um, such as the Abrahamic uh, covenant, the Mosaic covenant, the Davidic covenant. Um, These are covenants that, yes, occurred between individuals, but they were representative of the entire body, the entire um, corporate body uh, that belonged to God, namely the Israelites and eventually uh, those who were grafted into that body who are Christians. 